Greetings, brothers and sisters. Now, our passage today is super long, so we won't be able to work through the text verse by verse. So what would be really helpful is if you can have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 18 so that you can follow along. So let's pray and start. Heavenly Father, help me to preach faithfully and help us to, to go through this long text and hear carefully what you have to speak to us, Lord, that we may hear and obey. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Two best friends, Bob and Joe, were out camping in the forest when suddenly the forest went silent. Now these two men were best buddies and they have been going camping many times, but this is the first time that something like this has happened. Suddenly, there was a strong musky scent throughout the forest and Bob and Joe knew what was happening. There is a tiger, Joe said to Bob. Bob immediately got out of the camp and started to put on his running shoes. Joe told Bob, Bob, there is no way you can outrun a tiger. And as the tiger crept into the view, Bob told Joe, Joe, I don't need to outrun the tiger. I just need to outrun you. Now, this is also why I never join all of you who keep on asking me to go hiking or camping because it's very easy to outrun me. Now, it's a joke and we might just laugh at this, but if we are in the same situation, what happens to our friendships? We live in a world where friendships are oftentimes compromised by selfishness, materialism, and our secular culture. Well, in our passage today, we see a deep and enduring friendship between Jonathan and David. And while the emphasis of the passage isn't on this alone, it is still worth seeing it with critical eyes on how we think about our own friendships. Now with that, we come to the text. And we see that this is a direct continuation from last week's passage. In verse 1, as soon as David announces that he is Saul's faithful servant, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And he loved David as if his own soul. Then in response to this love, we see in verse 4, that Jonathan makes a covenant with him. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe, armor, sword, bow, and belt and gave it to David. Now, there are some people who see the idea of the soul being knitted together and confusing it with the idea of becoming one flesh through sexual union. Read this in an LGBT context. Furthermore, when they see Jonathan taking off his clothes, they will suggest that the close relationship between David and Jonathan was definitely homosexual in nature. They claim that this forbidden relationship was missed out by all the people who have read this in its context from the past 3,000 years. So to enforce the LGBT reading of this text is to ignore that there has been no such suggestion in the rabbinical traditions or early church history. And in fact, the people who were around back then clearly see this as nothing strange in its context. This language of souls being knitted seems strange to us. But it's actually a biblical idea and we do see a similar idea with Joseph and his son Benjamin and even Deuteronomy refers to a close friend as a friend who is as your own soul. So this idea of being bonded soul to soul is therefore talking about a very strong love in friendship or in a relationship. This closeness is comparable to the bonding between a husband and wife and in fact David himself says later on in 2 Samuel that his love for Jonathan is even greater than the love of a man for a woman. But this is not sexual in nature, 
but relational. It talks about a friendship that surpasses all other relationships. So what this shows us is that modern society cannot seem to imagine a close and loving relationship between two same-sex persons without sex. This shows us the moral bankruptcy of our modern culture and should serve as a warning for those of us who are not careful to have wisdom in soaking up what our culture puts up. So let us be wise to practice discernment and read the passage in its own cultural and historical context and not based on how people today want to interpret it. Now, in taking off and giving these things to David, we see Jonathan bestowing a great honor to David and it foreshadows how David is the true king. Jonathan, as a son of Saul, is the next in line to the throne after Saul, but it seems here that he is making a covenant with David and as he offers all things to him, it seems he is offering symbolically even his birthright as the heir of Saul to the throne. Now, we're not sure if Jonathan knew that David is secretly anointed and is truly God's chosen king. Perhaps he does this in acknowledgement of his regard for David, who has shown that God is with him through his successes against Goliath. What we can see, however, is that Jonathan is in fact saying that David deserves this honor as the heir who will inherit the kingdom. Jonathan is saying that he will accept David's kingship and be someone allied to him. And this seems to be what the covenant between them implies. Earlier, Saul had tried to grab Samuel's robe and it slipped from his fingers. And with that came the promise that the kingdom is taken from Saul and that one greater than he is coming. When David came, it was ironic that not knowing who David really is, Saul gave him his armor, which he meant for the practical purpose of defeating Goliath, but in reality foreshadowed how David is the new anointed king who takes up the responsibility from Saul. Then once again, we see that God has orchestrated things so that we see Jonathan giving up his status to David as Saul did, but only this time. It is done out of genuine love and respect. Those of us who know that David is the true king will see that what Jonathan has done is the right thing and is to be greatly commended because he can see David as God sees David. With that then, we see in verse 5 that David was made into the leader of the army and Saul sent him to fight the battles for Israel. The people and Saul's servants saw that it was good in their sight. As David came back after fighting with the Philistine, we see the women of Israel coming out of all the cities to meet this new heartthrob, the new sensation, the hero and champion, David, the servant of Saul. And so as they came, they sang together that Saul has struck down thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, the fact that Saul is mentioned first before David shows that they are not singing this to mock Saul and in fact honor him as the king. It's just that they were also exalting the hero of the day, David. Now, this should be normal expectations of any fan club. After all, the Israelites have been literally just a stone's throw away from becoming slaves to the Philistines. And of course, they would glorify David. Saul, however, took things personally. He was angry and displeased <clears throat> when he saw 
that the people ascribe a greater number to David and that the people loved him. And so he thought, what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul's mind, already heavy with the knowledge that the kingdom is taken from his hand and having to deal with his insecurities can only go in one direction. He eyed David from that day and saw him as a threat to be put down. Saul did not see as God saw. So then we come to verse 10 and we see that the harmful spirit rushed into Saul and he raved all the while David was playing the lyre. Now the word used for raving here is actually the word to prophesy. But Saul is not under the spirit of God, but under a harmful spirit. So this word is aptly translated as raving. Once Saul prophesied like the prophets, but with the spirit of God departed from him. He raved now like a madman under the influence of this harmful spirit. Such a sad state of affair for one who was anointed as king. He didn't stop with the raving, however. Two times he tries to pin down David with his fear, but David evaded him twice. Now this is pretty cool if you think about it, right? First time, Saul throws his spear. David dodges it like someone from the movie The Matrix. And then he continues playing to serve Saul. Saul tries again a second time and he dodges it again, all the while seeking to serve this disgraced king. What a fantastic example of servant-heartedness and willingness to be wronged, even as he serves. So Saul became afraid of David because he realizes that the Lord is with David. He has given him success and protected him from Saul. So Saul instead made David the commander of the armies and sent him away to fight, no doubt in the hopes that what his spear could not achieve, perhaps the Philistine weapons can. Yet even this backfires marvelously because David only grew more popular with the people, while all Saul seems capable of doing is plotting and committing evil. David, however, comes through as the one who fights for and saves the people of Israel. We then come to verse 17 and we see that Saul offers his eldest daughter Merab to David, if only he would fight valiantly. Verse 17 makes it clear that the intention is not to make peace with David, but in the hope that given enough chances, the Philistines will kill David. Even now, Saul continues his selfish ambitions and doesn't see that God is with David. Of course, David seems to decline here by saying, who am I to be the son-in-law to the king? I suspect what is happening here is twofold. He's probably being paise, shy, shy, and he's not really declining it. It's like when someone comes and praises your cooking and you say, no lah, it's not that good, which you don't really mean. The second reason I suspect is because to marry someone who is royal, there would be an expectation of a huge bride price or a dowry that someone like David cannot pay, which could be why David mentions his relatives and his father's clan. They were probably not rich people. And he rightly doesn't think he can meet the expectations. But as Saul's servant, David continued fighting the enemies. But when the time came, 
we see in verse 19 that Merab was married off to someone else. Now, this could be just because Saul is simply a terrible guy, or it could be that David was not able to pay or offer an impressive bride price. I suspect the reason has to do more with David's inability to pay the bride price because it seems like there are clues in the next bit that points to that. You see, in verse 20, when Saul finds out that his daughter Michal loved David, and Saul, being Saul, probably rubbed his hands together, gave out an evil laugh, and decided to use that for his evil plans. And he wanted to use his daughter as an incentive to get David into trouble and hopefully get him killed. So he offered her hand in marriage to him. In fact, probably because the first offer by him did not turn out so well. And he was probably also not sincere back then. He decided to bring this news to David through his servants who went to David to propose this marriage. It's good to know that at this point, Saul still has some sense of shame in him. So we see in verse 25 that to give David assurance that what happened with their older daughter doesn't happen again, Saul tells the servant that for a bride price this time, Saul wants a hundred foreskins of the Philistine. And this is something that David can work for even if his family may not be rich. Now, weird taste aside, this is actually a very cunning move by Saul. By demanding the foreskin instead of something else like ears or finger, Saul firstly makes sure that David will have to target only the uncircumcised Philistines. Secondly, a Philistine may surrender and have an ear or finger chopped off. After all, that is better than dying. But can you imagine the conversation if David went, Excuse me, kind sir, if I may trouble you a little. May I please just take a little snip snip at your foreskin? As I urgently need it for a project. Or perhaps your friends do while we are at it. Nobody will agree to it. Because it becomes a matter of honor. And it becomes very personal, doesn't it? By asking for the foreskin, Saul makes sure that the only way David is going to get it is literally over their dead bodies. Thirdly, imagine if you're a Philistine leader and story comes back of this Jew who is going around killing Philistines and chopping off their bits. How would you respond? This would demand a serious response, wouldn't it? Compared to the news of a random Israelite fighting Philistines. This involved desecration of the corpses and dishonor to them. So, by asking for the foreskin, Saul has made sure that David will really be enemy number one and most wanted by the Philistines. Saul is setting David to die as he goes on this quest to collect his bride price. But of course, this is David we're talking about. So he went with his men in verse 27 and came back, not with a hundred, rather 200 foreskins just in case Saul tries to back off from his promises. Here is payment, not just in full, but double. You can say Saul's plan were nipped in the bud. Now, Saul had no other option but to marry Michal to David. Verse 28 tells us that as Saul realizes that God is with David so that he cannot harm him, and Michal loves David, which would mean she would support David 
So he now has a channel to contend for the throne as his son-in-law. Saul's plan have all been cut to pieces and he got the short end of the stick. Thus, Saul was David's enemy. Well, David kept on getting glory and his name was greatly esteemed. So with that then, we come to chapter 19 and we see that Saul goes from bad to worse. He openly declares to Jonathan and all his servants that they should kill David. Now, we know from the text that everyone loves David. Everyone that is except Saul. So Jonathan shows his support by telling David about this and asks him to hide nearby at a field as he talks to Saul in order to resolve the situation. So we see in verse 4 that Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul. He reminded Saul not to sin against David and how through him the Lord has brought salvation to Israel. He has served Saul well and Saul himself has rejoiced in it. So how can Saul now sin against David and spill his innocent blood? Saul hears this and for a moment we see a semblance of sanity return to him. In verse 6 then he declares, David shall not be put to death. So once again, David came into the presence of Saul and the timing was fortuitous as war started again. And David won a great victory and saved the people. Yet still, cycle continues. And we again in verse 9 see that a harmful spirit come down on Saul and once again, he tried to kill David with his spear as he sought to serve him by playing music for him. Again, David escaped and this time he fled and escaped that night. We see in verse 11 that Saul, not one to be discouraged by his repeated failures, watched David's house so that he can kill him. And here we see another person who loved David. Michal, his wife, saving him by giving wise counsel. She asked him to flee, and as David left through the window, she took an image, or it can be plural images, and put it on the bed and put some goat hair to make it look like David is sleeping. Now, interestingly, this image referred to here are household idols that are used for divination. And this is not really a good testimony to Michal's faithfulness to God. Perhaps this shows that, that there are problems in Saul's household. and Maybe she grew up with these idols. Or perhaps this just shows us that Michal has dabbled in idolatry. Now, we don't have time to go in details, but one time that the same word for household idols is used in the Bible is when Rachel used one to protect Jacob from his father-in-law Laban in the book of Genesis. There are lots of parallels here. The angry father-in-law, the son-in-law escaping him, the wife saving him through the use of idols, and even the fact that there are two daughters promised to the son-in-law. So make of that what you will. So when Saul heard that David was sick, according to Michal, he ordered the whole bed to be brought to him. But once again, Saul fails, and we see that both his son and his daughter have frustrated his plan out of their love for David. We see the theme developing here, don't we? Saul keeps on trying to end David, but through the faithful love of those around him, he is brought to safety. Now David, on the other hand, has ran away and came to Samuel. 
and together they hid away at Nayot in Ramah, as we see in verse 18. News reached Saul. And of course, Saul being Saul, had to send his messengers to take David so that he can be killed. But what we see is that when the messengers arrived, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they joined Samuel and the company of prophets, and they too prophesied. We see that Saul sent messengers three times, and each time the same thing happened. Once again, Saul's plans were frustrated. Try as he might, Saul cannot crush David because God is with him. So finally, Saul himself roused himself to action. So what if his weak servants failed? This time he himself will go and finish the job. Now, if this was a movie or a video game, the music will start to play. And you would expect a great big boss fight to happen. Saul arrives at Ramah, finds out where David is, and comes looking for him in verse 22. As Saul reached the place, we see in verse 23, the Spirit of God came even unto him, and Saul stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay there naked all day and night. His plans came to naught. Saul's attempts to spear David was frustrated by his own ability. Saul's attempt to kill David was frustrated by his own son, Jonathan. Saul's attempt to kill David was frustrated by his own daughter, Michal. And finally, we see that Saul's attempt to kill David was frustrated now by God himself. What more can Saul do but endure the same comment that was made of him long, long before? Is Saul also among the prophets, but this time in mockery of him? All Saul gained from his attempts to go against God's chosen king is that his stupidity was known to everyone. He has become a laughingstock to his own people, while David became more of a legend as the hero and saviour with whom God himself is with. Try as he might, God has set his anointed king on that hill on Zion, and no king, no man, no enemy, no army can bring him harm. While well, we will see next week that David has to flee from now, and as the story progresses, he will have to suffer in exile, but there will come a day when he will be raised up and exalted, and we will see him in his full glory as the king of God's people. However, David was just a shadow, the ultimate king that God will anoint. Jesus too was attacked by many, and even when the enemy thought that they have won, their folly is revealed and Christ is exalted. One cannot defeat God's purposes and plans. He is sovereign, and it is folly to go against him. If you know what God had determined as the right thing to do, stick to that and don't seek to go against that. In our passage, we can see a shadow of Jesus as we see David being protected by God because God has chosen to love him. We can see in the response of the people as well as what looks like to be those who love God's king and those who choose to love their own power and self. So which one are you? 
Are you the one like Jonathan and Michal, willing to risk everything for God's king, no matter the personal cost? Or are you like Saul, choosing to reject and oppose God's king because you are more concerned for your own power and pleasures in life? If you are someone who opposes gospel work because you have a vendetta against someone who does this work, if you are someone who discourages evangelism because you are more worried about appearance and politics, then friend, I'm sorry to say, you and Saul are very alike. You are on the wrong path, heading towards humiliation and defeat because you are choosing to fight with God. If you are someone today who doesn't know Jesus as your king, then come to him. David was the means through which God's people found salvation from the Philistines. But Jesus is the king through whom God brings salvation from sin and death. Jesus suffered so that he can be the mighty savior of God's people and he is crowned and exalted in the heavenly places. And he rules patiently, waiting for you to repent and come to him before it's too late. To continue to reject Jesus and to trust in the souls of the world is foolishness. So don't be like Saul, whose foolishness you may have laughed at today. If you have not accepted Jesus, then you are the bigger fool. Only Jesus can save. We also see the picture of true friendship here today and we see how that demands sacrifices and humbleness before each other. However, we tend to think of friendships as transactional, don't we? If they excite you, if they share your interests and hobbies, then they are your friend. And if they don't, then high and by. We see here instead that we should love those who do what God wants them to do. Those who do God's will. So will you extend a sacrificial friendship to those who are serving God, those who are doing God's will, and help them and be their ally as they lead you to, to do what is right in the sight of God? So look for those who are seeking to follow Jesus, who are seeking to do God's will, and extend that arm of friendship and support to them. It can be an ordinary member in the church who is seeking holiness, it can be a growth group leader who is seeking to teach God's word better. It could be people who are involved in mercy ministry, caring for people. It could be anyone. Have you considered then reaching out to them with that sacrificial love and friendship that glorifies God that's modeled by Jonathan and Michal so that you too can then be a part of their ministry to glorify God. Think about it and let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to look to David and see Christ. That Christ is the King who has saved us and your will will not be thwarted. So help us, Lord, to be those who, who follow Jesus, who love him, and not to be people who secretly hate Jesus. And help us, Father, to show friendship to those who do your will and love them because they do the things that you desire, Father. 
these things are hard. We tend to mix with people who, who are beneficial to us. So please, Lord, change our hardened hearts and help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.